Okay. Hey, I'm going to, uh, well, firstly, welcome. My name is Pete, and uh, uh, we've been sitting for a little while. Why don't you get up and just kind of stretch a little bit? That way you get some circulation back, and I'll get set up here as well. Okay, please have a seat. Um, you will see on the top left corner and on every single slide that there is a link uh, to questions. We're going to begin collecting questions over Invitation Month. So if you have any questions that arise out of this talk or any other things, please at any stage uh, go onto that link. You'll get to a Google form. It's all anonymous. Um, put in your questions. Uh, we won't be able to answer the majority of them on Sundays. Well, if we have time today, I'll, I'll pick the, the top few and answer them. But uh, we will be answering them at a later time, and you'll find out a bit more about the, the occasion and the thing we want to invite you to after February, uh, where we're going to answer some of these questions. All right, so here we go. Fake news. What were the, some of the most amusing fake news stories of 2020? Well, did you hear this one? That dolphins were found in the Venice canals, uh, supposedly because everything got so quiet from tourists and no one was visiting Venice that uh, they found dolphins there again. Unfortunately, that was fake news. How about this one? That 5G, you know, the, uh, the telecommunications 5G um, actually caused coronavirus. That was, people believe that. Of course, that was fake news. And of course, probably the one that we are most familiar with that came out of the end of last year and even the beginning of this year is, of course, the fake news that Trump actually won the election and that it was rigged and stolen from him. Unfortunately, that was also fake news. Uh, fake news has been around for a long time. In fact, we have uh, evidence of fake news from the 13th century BCE, um, Egyptian Pharaoh Ramses, I think the second, who you could probably say was the Donald Trump of his day. Uh, he had big kind of paint or th these kind of memorials celebrating his uh, decisive victory over the Hittites. Only history tells us they didn't actually beat the Hittites. It was more of a stalemate. Um, that was ancient fake news. But, you know, he was the Trump of his day, make Egypt great again, mega. But um, there we go. Uh, so fake news has been around for a long time. But we know that since social media, and particularly because uh, President Trump used it to mean any news story that didn't fit into uh, his narrative or wasn't positive against him, or it wasn't in his favor, fake news has become, you know, the word or the words, the phrase. It's become rampant. Now, of course, some fake news are funny and completely harmless, like whether or not the dolphins were in the Venice Canal. It's kind of cute, but who cares, right? But other fake news, as we know, can have really serious consequences. Like, for example, the fake news that Donald Trump had won the election, but it was stolen off him. Well, we know just a few weeks ago what that resulted in, the riots at Washington on the Capitol. What about the Bible? What about the Bible? Is the Bible fake news? Well, if it is, then this fake news will have had the most serious consequences, arguably, of them all. Not just personally for over one billion people who call themselves Christians right now around the world, but potentially for the whole of history as we know it, standing where we are in the West, in Australia. If the Bible is fake news, the consequences are huge. 
So we really need to look at this topic, whether you are someone who is a follower of Jesus, or if you've been invited along, you're a bit of a skeptic, or you're genuinely seeking, this question is a really important one, isn't it? And I hope to tackle that with you over the next few minutes. So is the Bible fake news? Let me give you the three main arguments for the Bible being fake news. The first one is the Chinese whispers argument. That is the Gospels, the four biographies of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were really late uh, and really unreliable because what happened supposedly is that the stories of Jesus were circulating orally for a very, very long time before they were written down, and they were perhaps written down hundreds of years later. And so it's like basically an ancient form of Chinese whispers. You tell them, they tell someone else, they tell someone else, you know, a couple hundred years later, you're going to get a lot of misinformation and inaccuracy. Chinese whispers, even if we just did it today, right now, if if I gave a message to Dom and he passed it all the way around, we went all around the back and it came back, here, you can bet that the, uh, the phrase that I, I gave at the beginning would be quite different to the phrase I receive. Now, some really uh, influential people believe this and have written about this and it becomes part of their argument. So you may have heard of Richard Dawkins, the uh, Oxford professor of biology and, and other things. Uh, he wrote in the book, God Delusion, and the quote's up there for you. Let me read it out. He says, ever since the 19th century, scholarly theologians have made an overwhelming case that the Gospels are not reliable accounts of what happened in the history of the real world. All were written long after the death of Jesus and also after the epistles of Paul, which mention almost none of the alleged facts of Jesus' life. All were then copied and recopied through many different Chinese whispers, generations by fallible scribes who in any case had their own religious agendas. Okay? That is, the Gospels are basically Chinese whispers orally and then written, and it's very late and very unreliable. That's the first fake news argument. The next is that there were other Gospels, other biographies of Jesus that didn't make it into the Bible, but were banned for political or religious or biased reasons by the early church, and they were silent. So again, Richard Dawkins says this, The four Gospels that made it into the official canon or the official collection were chosen more or less arbitrarily out of a larger sample of at least a dozen, including the Gospels of Thomas, Peter, Nicodemus, Philip, Bartholomew, and Mary Magdalene. Now, if you were old enough, you might remember the book or the movie, The Da Vinci Code. Uh, The Da Vinci Code made popular the idea that there were so many of these suppressed Gospels, and if you'd read them, and if they hadn't been silenced, they would have revealed, for example, that the real Jesus is totally unlike the Bible's version. That Jesus didn't ever say that he was God in human flesh. That was only uh, a political move or religious move in 325 CE at the Council of Nicaea. And that Jesus didn't really die on the cross, but was thought, mistakenly thought dead. And therefore he didn't rise again because he recovered after being crucified and survived. And then he appeared uh, after his resurrection. And after his resurrection, he was, or resurrection, after he recovered, he was married to Mary Magdalene and had children. That's the claim of the Da Vinci Code. Now, obviously that is a book of fiction, but um, Dan Brown's work was based on uh, a popular work of non-fiction before him. That's essentially the second view that the Bible um, is, you know, is only one of many other gospels that were silenced and suppressed. The third 
is that the value of the Bible is not actually in how liter- uh, literary, um, literal it is. It's not literal history, but it's more like myth and metaphor. So um, let me show you uh, Dan Brown again, and, and he's writing this in the Da Vinci Code through the words of one of his characters. Uh, but uh, we have every reason to believe this is what Dan Brown, the author, actually believes. He says, every faith in the world is based on fabrication. That is the definition of faith, acceptance of that which we imagine to be true, that which we cannot prove. Every religion describes God through metaphor, allegory, exaggeration. The problems arise when we begin to believe literally in our own metaphors. Those who truly understand their faiths understand the stories are metaphorical. Now, you see what he's trying to do? He, he's, at, he's not actually anti-religion at this point. He just wants to say, you know, the Bible isn't supposed to be fact. But that's the value of myth and metaphor is that it doesn't have to be fact to be inspiring or helpful. Uh, but essentially, that's the view that the, that the Bible is myth and metaphor. And it's, it, it's in that way, fake news, fake historical news. But it has value beyond that. In other ways, I wonder if that's your view or one of the other views. So what do we do with these arguments? Well, if you are hopped online and you saw fake news or something that you're kind of a little bit doubtful about, um, whatever it is, um, what would you do? How would you determine whether or not it's real? Well, you know, this, I, I found this pretty helpful. How to spot fake news, right? There are tools that we would employ, some of them common sense, but now particularly in an internet social media age, it's something that we should probably all be aware of. Things like consider the source, check the author, check the date, check your biases, read beyond. What are the supporting sources? Is it a joke? Ask the experts. All right, so there are some of the tools that are helpful to spot fake news. Well, guess what? With the Bible and those fake news claims, there are also tools that we use. Only what we use are the tools of history, which actually aren't that different to some of those. So let me come to my next point. The Bible in history and using the tools of history, I hope to show you, comes out as reliable news. Uh, You see, I don't know if you realize this, but the Bible makes historical claims. Like the core of the Christian faith is not in stuff that can't be proved, but in stuff that is actually historically grounded. And these are big historical claims, I know. All right? But nevertheless, they are testable in history. We believe in a historical Jesus who really lived, who really performed miracles, who died and rose again. Now, when we say these things, and this happened in, you know, around 2,000 years ago, um, we could obviously put the whole Bible, Old and New Testament, to the test of history. But really, because the core of the Christian faith is on Jesus, and for the sake of brevity in this talk, I want to just focus on, you know, what the New Testament, right, those books and letters written about Jesus, uh, since Jesus, what they say about Jesus, and whether they stand up to historical scrutiny, um, and so here's the thing I want you to know. Now, you, you will have heard, uh, if you have friends here who brought you along or you know Christian friends, um, Christians believe that the Bible is actually God's Word. And you will have heard that um, from Kate's testimony. You will have heard that from um, the video you saw earlier. But for a moment, I want you to know that you don't need to, at this point, if you're, if you're someone who's finding out about the reliability of the Bible, you don't need to, at this point, treat the Bible as the Word of God. Right? You don't. All we want you to do at this point is to just ask the question, is it good history? 
right? You don't need to treat it as the Word of God just yet. Just ask the question, does it say reliable things about Jesus in history? And if, if we ask those questions, then the same tools that we use to assess any other historical document from antiquity, we can use on the Bible. And we will see that the claims of the Bible as fake news don't actually stand up to the test of history. So let me give you a few, just three things to keep, just to have a think about. Firstly, about timing. Right? Remember, the claim from Dawkins and others um, is that the, go- uh, the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus were written too late and were inaccurate because they're Chinese whispers written down much later. Unfortunately, that's fake news. You see, the truth is, and this is agreed amongst almost all Bible scholars and historians, including non-Christian ones, right, that they agree that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four biographies of Jesus, are the most early and the most reliable accounts of Jesus' life that we have. Now, how early are we talking about? Well, if you also include the letters of the New Testament, for example, by Paul, who was a follower of Jesus, and he wrote basically about half of the New Testament, the letters are even earlier. So let's talk about how early some of these documents are. Paul's letter of 1 Corinthians was written about 20 years after the events of Jesus' life and death, 20 years. The earliest biography, Mark's Gospel, is agreed by most scholars as written around the 40-year mark after Jesus. The latest biography of Jesus, Gospel of John, is about 60 years after the events of Jesus. In fact, by 160 CE, the year 160, an early church leader by the name of Irenaeus declared Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as the four reliable and the only four reliable biographies of Jesus' life by 160. Now, you might be thinking, okay, 20 years, 40 years, 60 years, that's a long time, especially if some of you here are still in your 20s or even teens. I want to tell you from a person who's slightly older than you, uh, for a lot of you, it's not actually a long time, especially in history terms. Let me just help you put it into perspective. Do you know 20 years ago, this happened? So many of us can still remember exactly where we were 20 years ago when this happened, yeah? 40 years ago was Diana and Charles's wedding. Some of the uh, older members here, you remember that pretty well. 60 years ago was another president's inauguration, not Biden, but John F. Kennedy Jr. No, not Jr., John F. Kennedy Sr., okay? See, people are still alive today, even amongst us, who remember some people who've witnessed these events. 20, 40, 60 years is not that long. But you might be thinking, well, 20 to 60 years is still long enough for people to get stuff mixed up, forget about stuff, to write history down 40, 60 years later. That's not reliable, isn't it? Well, no, not if you understand the writing of history. Do you see, we actually know more about the events of 9-11 now than we did 20 years ago. Yeah? In fact, often in history, when, when, when sources are writing immediately close to the events, there's less information and less reliable information that you have to sort through. But let the dust settle 20, 40, 60 years later, you're actually able to collect the data, interview eyewitnesses, check, 
different sources, right? Wean out biases. They're actually more reliable when the passing of time happens. Now, I want to show you that that's exactly what the writers of the Bible claim. So one of the uh, most uh, uh, well-known biographies of Jesus, the longest one, in fact, is Luke. Uh, Luke was an educated man, a doctor in, in the ancient world. And he, um, look what he says about how he came about writing his biography of Jesus. Okay, this is what he says. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself, what has he done? Carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Um, that's the, the person he's writing or dedicating to a patron of some sort. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Um, I happen to study uh, communications journalism at university. And if you cast a journalist's eye to those statements, you will see that Luke is probably a proto-journalist of the ancient world. That's what you do. You interview eyewitnesses, you collect data, and you write an orderly account. Right? The Gospels and the letters of the New Testament rely on that. Eyewitness accounts. Uh, again, I remind you that in 1 Corinthians, which is the, the, probably the, the early, even the earlier, much earlier than Luke, 20 years or so after the events of Jesus, this is what Paul wrote. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that's Paul, uh, Peter, the, the first disciple of Jesus, and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. Note that. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. Do you see what he's saying? This was written 20 years after the events of Jesus, when eyewitnesses who saw Jesus alive after he'd been crucified were still around, and in fact, he claims over 500 at the same time saw him, most of whom are still alive today. This is the kind of stuff that you can't get away with falsifying, because all it would take is someone to say, ah, that didn't happen. Uh, I, I, we won't read this one out, but in the, the biography of Mark, it goes as far as to mention specific names. Ma the man who helped Jesus carry the cross uh, as the father of Alexander and Rufus. Why would you put the names of Alexander and Rufus down, all right? Except that they were people known in the early church. You see how close to the events of Jesus' time this must have been for these names to have been written down. So you see what I mean? For the Gospels and the letters to have been so early and so widely circulated, enough to launch Christianity, by the way, in the midst of opposition. Remember, the early centuries, Christians were being killed for their beliefs. And it still grew, right? Can you imagine that happening as a result of inaccurate Chinese whispers? It, could, it couldn't have happened. It's like... Even today, if you deny the Holocaust, you know, the slaughter of six million Jews by the Nazis, 
If you deny the Holocaust, and there are people who do, but all it takes is for a survivor to show you the tattoo on their wrist and say, I was a survivor of the Holocaust. It actually happened. We have photos. We have eyewitnesses. It's as easy as that, right? Now, of course, people are still going to believe that it didn't happen, but it's not for good reason. Do you know what I mean? Right? History tells us that these accounts were early and they were reliable eyewitnesses. Now, by the way, what about those additional Gospels, those ones that were silenced and hidden? Well, we do have copies of those, but do you know the earliest one of those is probably written around 175 CE, the year 175, which is over 100 years later than when Jesus lived. Keep in mind, the early church leader Irenaeus, by 160, had said there are four and only four Gospels. So the real Gospels were in circulation and had achieved um, recognition as reliable before the earliest of these additional Gospels were supposedly written. So you see the comparison. There's no comparison in terms of reliability and historical accuracy. All right, that's the timing. The second, let's talk about content. See, the popular view is that the Gospels are like basically propaganda. They're, they're, they're promoting the agenda and the power of those in the early church that wanted this and this version of Jesus and not any others. So it's not history, it's more like propaganda. Now, if that was the case, you see, you would expect Jesus, as he's presented in the gospel and the letters, to take sides in a lot of things that we know were controversial in the early church, right? That's what propaganda does. It's using... Um, you know, it's shaping what happened in the past to suit your purposes, to say a point about the present. At the time of the early church, one of the big issues was the relationship between Jewish people and non-Jewish people in the early church. And strangely, that's almost completely absent, that controversy completely absent in the Gospels, in the biographies of Jesus' life. You'd expect them to be really front and center if it was propaganda. It would have been easy to do that. And there's also lots that don't make sense if the biographies, the Gospels, wanted to make the Christian movement look good. If you wanted to have propaganda make the Christian movement look good and churn out fake news that made Jesus look good, I'll tell you what you wouldn't have included. You wouldn't have included things like the crucifixion. You just wouldn't have it. I mean, nowadays people wear crosses around their necks, right? But in the ancient world, crucifixion was repulsive to both Jews and Romans. You wouldn't have a Messiah crucified. You just wouldn't have it. You wouldn't have Jesus in the gospel accounts nearly failing, weak, almost to the point of fainting and distressed, that he was so distressed that he was sweating out blood just before he went to the cross. You wouldn't have Jesus like that. You would present him as a steely hero who wasn't perturbed at all by his destiny. That's not the picture of Jesus in the garden just before he went to the cross. You wouldn't have the picture of the early church leaders, those disciples of Jesus, as a lot of the times in the Gospels, bumbling idiots who just didn't get it and who were petty and jealous. Like you just wouldn't, you would paint yourselves and the early church leaders again in a much more heroic light. And you certainly wouldn't have the first eyewitnesses to an empty tomb be women. This was a very sexist society. In the courts, before a judge, the testimony of women were not even counted as valid. 
And yet, the Gospels record the first eyewitnesses to the empty tomb were women. If you were going for propaganda, you would replace them with men. And yet, all of those things are in the Gospels. And there's no attempt to hide them. It wasn't very good propaganda if that was the case. And you compare that with the, uh, those uh, supposed additional Gospels that were silenced. We do, again, you can read them, and they read so very differently. In fact, they are the ones that tend to reflect um, what was believed in the culture around them at the time in the 2nd and 3rd century CE. And so their account of Jesus tends to have Jesus in a sort of elevated, almost ethereal, non-human you know, way because that perfectly fitted with the philosophy of the Greek world that they were carrying, right? It's those Gospels, those later ones, those um, silenced ones, supposedly, that actually have a much more propaganda sort of feel to them. So that's content. What about details? Well, the form of the Gospels, again, if you read them, are too detailed, in that if the Gospels were fiction, that is, if they were fictional Um, And instead of real biographies, then guess what? It would have been unlike any fiction in its time. You know, nowadays you read a novel and uh, you are used to reading about um, details, realism details. But, you know, ancient fiction did not do that. All other ancient fiction of its time never embellished things with unimportant details or realism. That kind of thing only happened in novel writing about 300 years ago. Um, So um, ancient fiction were remote and high, details were really spare, and you would only include some of these details if it drove the plot or developed the character. That was ancient fiction. And so in ancient fiction, people in characters wouldn't notice the fall of raindrops or wouldn't fall asleep with a sigh. You know, those kind of descriptions we're used to in novels didn't happen in the ancient world. But yet in the Gospels, you find a lot of these incidental details. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus was said to be asleep on a cushion in the stern of a boat. Pretty specific details. In John chapter 21, Peter sees the risen Jesus. He picks up his garment, it says, jumps out of the boat, runs to Jesus, and later catches 153 fish. Pretty specific details. In John chapter 8, Jesus is kind of doodling on the ground, drawing on the ground. Again, this kind of fictional writing, you might think, oh, that just sounds like fiction today. Well, it wasn't in the ancient world. Didn't come around until about 300 years ago. Now, don't take my word for it. Take someone who's been studying literature and, and, uh, and fiction pretty much all of his life, the late C.S. Lewis, um, said this. He said, I've been reading poems, romances, vision literature, legends, and myths all my life. I know what they're like. I know none of them are like this. He means the Gospels. Of this Gospel text, there are only two possible views. I know what he says. Either this is reportage, eyewitness reportage, nonfiction, or else some unknown ancient writer without known predecessors or successors suddenly anticipated the whole technique of modern novelistic realistic narrative. See what he's saying? Right? People didn't write fiction like that. You read the Gospels, you'll see that these people who wrote it were not writing fiction, they were writing eyewitness reports. Now, there's only a really short time I get to go through this with you, but I hope you see that even as a little dip into this will show you that the case against the Bible being real news is pretty overrated. In fact, I'd like to make the claim, and it's not a really outrageous claim, people have been doing it 
lots since people like Dawkins have published his works. It's the Dawkins' view and others that's the fake news. Anne Rice, who is an author, uh, atheist at one stage, who came to know and trust the Bible later on in life, she wrote this, The Vampire Chronicles, the interview of the vampire, when she investigated these claims of the Bible not being uh, uh, reliable, this is what she came uh, to the conclusion of. She says, some books were no more than assumptions piled on assumptions. Conclusions were reached on the basis of little or no data at all. The whole case for the non-divine Jesus who stumbled into Jerusalem and somehow got crucified, that whole picture which had floated around the liberal circles I frequented as an atheist for 30 years, that case was not made. Not only was it not made, I discovered in this field some of the worst and most biased scholarship I'd ever read. Now, if you are a seeker or a skeptic, you may not want to believe the accounts in these Gospels, especially of things like miracles and Jesus rising from the dead, and I get that. And you may not want to believe because you um, think that's not possible scientifically, and I get that, and we're going to deal with science in two weeks' time. But I hope you see that with the tools of history, regardless of what you think may or may not happen scientifically, again, we can talk about that at another time, in terms of history, the Gospels are the most reliable ancient historical documents by a long shot, um, especially when it comes to the events of Jesus. So I hope I, I've, I've shown you just over the last few minutes that the, God, the Bible is not just not fake news, it's reliable news. But remember the topic today is, is the Bible good news though? Is it good news? Well, this is what the uh, gospel writer John says at the end of his biography of Jesus. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. All right, the purpose of all of this is not just to give you bare historical facts, but the Bible and the Bible writers interpret the facts for us. Now, you might be thinking, Oh, that's the problem. They're interpreting these facts. They're biased. They must be false. Nah, if you think that, you've never studied history. Because all history, good history, is interpretive. Good history writing is never just about presenting bare facts. It's about interpreting the events of the past. That's what historiography, that's what history writing is all about. Now, we can assess whether they're accurate or not. But the fact that there's an interpretation doesn't make it bad history. It makes it history. So, for example, the Bible, remember the passage I showed you in 1 Corinthians? That, that uh, phrase, Christ died for our sins, it tells us an event. The event is that Christ or Jesus died. But it also tells you what it means, the interpretation of that fact. I mean, lots of people died. And lots of people died by crucifixion. And lots of people who claimed to be messiahs died by crucifixion in the ancient world. But here, the writer Paul interprets it for us. Jesus died, and the second bit is the interpretation, for our sins. And that's where the good news is. And I hope to expand on it much more in the, in the following talks. But in case you're unfamiliar with the good news at the heart of the Christian faith, it's this. Right, This world 
is a broken world. And it's a broken world because we've left the blueprint of our Creator's um, intentions for us, for the world, to live in relationship with Him and with others. And that brokenness it comes about because we've deliberately chosen to reject God, both collectively as human beings and individually um, as people. And that's called sin. And sin is the greatest problem because God cannot leave our sin as it is, as, as, as He can't leave this world broken as it is. And so He's going to judge sin and bring an end to sin. But it means that all of us stand condemned before God for the way we've treated Him and for the way we treated each other. But instead of sending us to our just punishment, God sent His own Son, Jesus. By the way, um, listen to my sermon from last week if you missed it. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, Jesus, to die in the place of sinners. We couldn't possibly fix all the brokenness on our own, left to ourselves. So Jesus took our sin in our place all of the punishment, he deliberately went to the cross for what? For our sins. Paid it all, rose again from the dead, and we'll look at that um, at another time. But he did that so that we might have our sins dealt with, we might have relationship with God, or in the words of John previously, so that we might have eternal life. That's good news. That'll change everything about your life. Not just the bare historical fact Jesus died, which doesn't itself make a difference, but that Jesus died for your sins. What kind of a difference does it make in a person's life? Well, you've heard Kate. I want to show you a video, and it just happened last week. You guys may have heard about I Forgive Day that happened as a result of a terrible accident a year ago where four children were run down by a drunk and, and a, a drug-induced motorist. This is the kind of difference the Bible makes in a person, in a family, and indeed in a society's life if we take it seriously. Have a look at this video. On Saturday, the 1st of February, 2020, my life was turned upside down and literally changed forever. Seven precious, innocent and adorable children were taking a walk to get some ice cream on a perfect summer's day. I walk many, if not all of us, have taken early in our lives with excitement and independence as a part of a true Aussie ritual. What happened next cannot be understood, explained or made sense of. My eldest son, Anthony, my eldest daughter, Angelina, my youngest daughter, Sienna, and along with their beautiful, loving cousin, Veronique, were tragically killed by a drunk and drug driver unbeknown to my wife and I. Then I received the phone call that no parent should ever receive. Come now, your kids have been in an accident. With my heart pounding, and mind racing in deep desperation. I made my way to what is now the scene of the most tragic accident this nation has witnessed in modern times. Four children dead instantly. It was like entering the aftermath of a war zone. Friends, I am in pain. My days are empty. My heart is aching. Tears of hopelessness visit me each day. I am dying on the inside, and it's hard to take much more. However, I faced a choice. 
the choice that I want you all to comprehend, if there is anything I want to share with you today. What path do I take? The path of destruction or the path of construction? Do I react and numb this pain or respond and face this pain? I choose to respond. I choose to seek my refuge and my strength. I choose to obey my Father in heaven and forgive. Many question, why don't you blame God? But the truth is, there is no other place to run to but God. He is the only one that can carry me through this. My only mentor in these uncharted waters is Jesus. Jesus, our ultimate example for forgiveness. The one who suffered beyond measure, yet extends forgiveness to all. I forgive myself. And I forgive the offender for the greater good of my family. This has allowed us to live in a state of peace and grace. And I promise you, if my children were here today, they would say, Dad, forgive him. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? Let me tell you something. Fake news can't do that, can it? If you've never picked up a Bible and read it for yourself as an adult, right? Not the times when you were forced it as a kid in you know, Sunday school scripture lessons, as important as they were, are, have you read it as an adult? If you don't have a Bible, you can have one today. We'll give it to you for free, right? Uh, sorry, people don't know I'm doing this, but um, yeah, just come and see me and we will give you a Bible. I've right? got plenty. I would want you to take a Bible. Read it for yourself like Kate did because fake news can't do that, can it? Keep coming. Keep coming to investigate. Right? This, this, these next three weeks, we're going to, at different points, tackle ideas from the Bible. Um, next week, I hope to look at the idea of the church, uh, what Christians believe, who Christians are. Again, I want to argue that if it's fake or irrelevant, it can't produce that kind of incredible response that we heard from Danny Abdallah. So come, hear about it. The week after will be science. The final week will be about life. And then I'm going to tell you a little bit about something called Fresh a little bit later on. But um, while these thoughts sit with you, why don't I get the band to come up? They're going to play us a song again. And then I'm going to get up. I'm going to tell you a little bit about something that's happening in March um, and how you can respond. But let's get the band up. We're going to have a, have a listen to uh, a song again. These songs have chosen really, really um, deliberately in that all of these songs have been songs that clearly express what Christians believe. Um, and so, yeah, let the words really seep in. Um, and again, questions, um, the link is still live, and uh, I think we will probably have some time to go through them later on, some of the questions anyway. So keep sending the questions to go.swec.org.au slash, what was it, slash questions? Yeah, okay.